the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. They get their identity, their sense of satisfaction and purpose in things that they do, in the things that they accomplish rather than in God. And how many people understand that who God is will far outlive anything you and I ever do. And so therefore, if we put our fulfillment, purpose, and contentment in who God is instead of what we do, then our purpose and our fulfillment and our satisfaction will always also outlive what we do because it's based on who God is. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ecclesiastes. Many people put their value and purpose in the things which they do or accomplish. They put their worth in making money, getting famous, or having a fancy job. Though these things can be worthy pursuits, they all will fall empty if they are used to replace God. Pastor Gary teaches us only God should hold priority in our lives, for only He will remain throughout eternity. Through accepting Jesus into our hearts, we accept a relationship and mission which will last throughout eternity. While all other things fade, He remains. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 with part 2 of his message, On the Hunt for happiness and satisfaction. You know, alcohol doesn't fix anything. So if, you're, if you're using alcohol as some kind of a medicinal treatment of your sorrow or your emptiness or your unfulfillment, all of that will still be there when you're sober. Alcohol is not an answer to that. And he says, I tried. I tried cheering myself up with wine. And, and, and he said, it just, it proved to be empty also. There are countless people in our culture who think that happiness comes out of a bottle or at least numbs me enough that I don't have to deal with the unhappiness of my life. And I think that's captured in the song by Billy Joel, Piano Man. I'm just going to read some of the lyrics to you. Um, the song's been around for a long time, but this is what Billy Joel was writing about in that song, Piano Man, when he, when he wrote this. It's 9 o'clock on a Saturday. The regular crowd shuffles in. There's an old man sitting next to me making love to his tonic and gin. He says, son, can you play me a memory? I'm not really sure how it goes, but it's sad and it's sweet, and I knew it complete when I wore a younger man's clothes. Sing us a song. You're the piano man. Sing us a song tonight. Well, we're all in the mood for a melody, and you've got us feeling all right. Now, John at the bar is a friend of mine. He gets me my drinks for free, and he's quick with a joke or to light up your smoke, but there's some place that he'd rather be. He says, Bill, I believe this is killing me, as the smile ran away from his face. 
Well, I'm sure that I could be a movie star if I could get out of this place. Now, Paul is a real estate novelist who never had time for a wife. And he's talking with Davy, who's still in the Navy and probably will be for life. And the waitress is practicing politics as the businessmen slowly get stoned. Yes, they're sharing a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. It's a pretty good crowd for a Saturday. And the manager gives me a smile because he knows that it's me they've been coming to see to forget about life for a while. That's the story of a lot of people. And they think that alcohol will help them forget or numb or dull their pain. But the reality is, without God in the equation, all those things are still there even when you're sober. So he moves on from talking about laughter and alcohol. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, he just uses this broad statement. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Look, he's the richest man, most powerful man on the planet. And he says at the time, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Well, the principal thing that Solomon did not deny himself or refuse himself was women. And of course, we mentioned last week, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So clearly on the list of the pleasures that he pursued was also sex. I mean, he's, he's not interested in, in what makes a thousand women happy. He's interested in what makes himself happy. You know, because if you have a thousand women, you can have one woman each night and never see her again for almost three years. So he's, he's in this for his own selfish self-interest, and he thinks that all these sexual conquests and having all these women in my life will bring some measure of pleasure or some measure of happiness or satisfaction. To some degree, it would, but in the long run, of course, it always leaves someone feeling empty. Again, listen, it's not that sex is wrong. I don't want anybody walking around thinking that as a result of this Bible study, the main message is that God is just a killjoy. He doesn't want you to have any fun or pleasure. He doesn't want you to laugh. He never wants you to drink, and he he doesn't want you to have sex. Listen, God created the gift of sex to be enjoyed for pleasure and procreation within the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. It's a gift from God. Laughter is a gift from God. Alcohol in moderation, as long as you don't get drunk, I mean, that's a personal conviction. But... God is not about killing your joy as much as he is expanding it. The problem is we've begun to believe a lie in our world that if we go the way of the world and what the culture thinks will bring ultimate happiness and fulfillment, we will always end up being disappointed. And if instead we can really understand the importance of God in our lives and making him central to our lives, then we'll experience a measure of pleasure and joy and fulfillment that the world doesn't even offer, let alone deliver. So sex isn't wrong. God created it as a gift to be enjoyed in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. But there are many people, and Solomon is one of them, many people who use sex as a means of trying to find fulfillment, purpose, some kind of satisfaction in their lives by having one relationship after another relationship after another relationship after another relationship. You look at the woman at the well in John's gospel where Jesus encounters this woman and he says to her, go call your husband. She says, I have no husband. He says, you're right about that. The fact of the matter is you've been married five times and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. 
I mean, what was the deal with that woman at the well? The deal was that she kept trying to find satisfaction of fulfillment in one relationship after another, after another, after another. But she's empty. And the one that she really needed to bring the ultimate fulfillment was the guy she's about ready to give a cup of cold water to. Is because Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. And so many people have tragically gotten themselves in deep despair, discouragement, and trouble learning the hard way that all the things that the world claims to offer in terms of fulfillment just don't deliver. And people have wasted time, effort, energy, and gotten brokenhearted about it and experienced a lot of pain because they believe the lie that if you try this and if you try that and if you try this, you're going to be happy, satisfied, and enjoy life. Well, why is it that so many people have tried all those things aren't happy? Because if God's not in the equation, that's the reason why. So there's nothing wrong with sex in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. But the deal here is that Solomon has explored sex as a means to an end. I'm going to try to use one sexual conquest after another to experience fulfillment. To have something that's missing in my life become satisfied through one sexual encounter after another. And it doesn't work. Lana Del Rey, who is a popular singer and songwriter, not that I particularly listen to her, but I try to keep my ear to the ground in terms of pop culture of our day, but Lana Del Rey just came out with a new album called Lust for Life. Not the greatest lyrics, but in an interview she did a few years ago, here's, here's a young lady who's experienced tremendous success before the age of 30, but she said in an interview a few years ago, quote, I, I never have felt pleasure from the fame that I have received. And she added, quote, I slept my way to the top. I slept with a lot of guys in the industry, but none of them helped me get the record deals. I never felt any of the enjoyment. It was all bad, all of it, end quote. Of course she didn't get the record deals that she was hoping for. Those guys were taking advantage of her. They had no intention of giving her a record deal. It was a notch in the belt for those guys. But for her, it leaves her feeling devastated and empty. She said it was all a bad experience. It never even got me what I was hoping for. Yeah, because it can't be used as a means to an end. She thought maybe it could, but she was also one of many people disappointed in the lack of the fulfillment that just sexual escapades often will bring. Solomon moves on from the pleasure hunt to, in this chapter, what I'm calling the measure hunt. And by definition, what I mean is that sometimes we measure happiness and satisfaction in terms of accomplishment or success. That's what Solomon also tried. He's like, maybe if I just do a lot of things, I become really, really super successful. I build a lot of things. I accomplish a lot of things. Then I'll find happiness and contentment. Well, look at verses 4 to 7. That proved to be empty also. In verse 4, he says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Now, let me just highlight all the different times he said, I did this and I did that. Perhaps you noticed that as we were reading through verses 4 through 7, I undertook great projects. I built houses. I planted vineyards. I made gardens. I made reservoirs. I bought 
all these servants. I had other servants. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Time and time again, he said, I did this, I did that, I owned this, I owned that, I accomplished this, and I accomplished that. He said, I was still empty. Now, look, again, a word of caution. The Bible is not discouraging hard work or success. Far from it. The Bible champions hard work, and God makes people successful for his glory. So it's not to be interpreted as, oh, there's something wrong with accomplishing things and achieving things and building things. No, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. But Solomon was talking about how he was doing what a lot of people do, and that is trying to find fulfillment and purpose and identity in what he did rather than in who God is. So a lot of people do. They get their identity, their sense of satisfaction and purpose in things that they do, in the things that they accomplish, rather than in God. And how many people understand that who God is will far outlive anything you and I ever do? And so therefore, if we put our fulfillment, purpose, and contentment in who God is instead of what we do, then our purpose and our fulfillment and our satisfaction will always also outlive what we do because it's based on who God is. Everybody get that? Is it the snow or what? Is there any amen in this house today? (laughs) See, if we just put our trust, our confidence, our fulfillment, our joy in all the things we do, then our identity is in all that stuff. Well, God is going to far superior in many ways, excel and exceed those things that we do. So why do we want to wrap up our identity, satisfaction, peace, and contentment in the things that we do rather than who God is? Boy, I I gave you a second chance and you're still like, is anybody here? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just supposed to preach to myself today because I, maybe I need to hear this. But this, this is a problem that a lot of people are on. And how, how many people do we know, ourselves included, who have gotten too much satisfaction and identity and purpose in what we do than instead of who God is? And Solomon realizes this. And so look at verse 11 in your Bibles. Verse 11, he says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done... And what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. It was like like a mist, it was like a vapor. It was fleeting, all these great accomplishments. Where are they today? You can go to Israel today and still in Jerusalem, you can see in in the stones of the southern part of the city of Jerusalem, where Solomon had hewn out places for reservoirs to water his fields and his vineyards and his fruit trees. But nothing else is there. So we need to make sure that we're wrapped up in the Lord rather than in what we do. The pleasure hunt will often turn out to be futile. The measure hunt will turn out to be futile. The third hunt that he embarks on here is the treasure hunt. And this is the attempt to find happiness and satisfaction in material possessions. Look at verses 8 and 9. In verse 8, he says, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. He said, you know, I, I, I still was smart enough to realize what I was doing, but I was just too dumb to recognize how futile it all was. 
He says, I amassed all this silver, I amassed all this gold, I had all the treasures of all the kings of every province. Solomon was a wealthy man. He was the wealthiest man who ever lived. And he basically is saying here, I had all the money and all the things that money could buy, and I still felt empty. In fact, he'll go on to say in a couple more chapters, in chapter 5, verse 10, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. John D. Rockefeller was once, t- once asked, how much money is enough money? And Rockefeller always answered, whenever I have a little bit more. So it's the idea of loving money. Again, is there anything wrong with money? There's nothing wrong with money. God blesses us and takes care of us and provides for us. It's when money has us. It's not when we have money. Money makes a wonderful servant but a terrible master. And Solomon is writing here about somebody that as someone who had a lot of stuff, a lot of possessions, a lot of material things, a lot of silver, a lot of gold. Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 10, so much silver in Jerusalem during the days of Solomon that it became worthless. He flooded the market with so much silver that it was worthless in his day. He was a very, very wealthy man. But he realized that all the money in the world couldn't buy happiness. We've heard that saying before, right? All the money in the world can't buy contentment and happiness and fulfillment. All you need to do is listen to some of the stories of those who have won lotteries in our country to realize how messed up money can make some people who don't understand the right way to manage it. So before you go scratching off any more tickets, listen to this. Jack Whitaker, one example. Jack Whitaker was already a millionaire when he won a $315 million lottery in West Virginia in 2002, 315 million. The then 55-year-old West Virginia construction company president claimed that he went broke about four years later and lost a daughter and a granddaughter to drug overdoses, which he blamed on the curse of the Powerball win, according to ABC News. He said, quote, my granddaughter and my daughter are dead because of the money, he told ABC. He said, quote, you know, my wife said, that she wished that she had torn that ticket up. Well, I wish that we had torn the ticket up too. And Whitaker was also robbed of $545,000 cash sitting in his car while he was at a strip club eight months after winning the lottery. Strip club, West Virginia. It's really giving me a bad image right now. But listen to what he says. He says, I just, this is Jack Whitaker talking. He says, I just don't like Jack Whitaker. I don't like the hard heart I've got. I don't like what I've become, end quote. Another guy by the name of Abraham Shakespeare. Abraham Shakespeare was murdered in 2009 after he won a $30 million lotto jackpot. The 47-year-old Florida man was shot twice in the chest and then buried under a slab of concrete in a backyard, according to ABC News. D.D. Moore, who authorities say befriended him after his lotto win, was found guilty of first-degree murder in 2012. The guy's brother, the deceased brother, told the BBC that, that his brother always said he regretted winning the lottery. He told me all the time, his brother said, quote, I would have been better off broke, end quote. Donna Meekin. Donna Meekin won $34.5 million in the New York State Lottery in 2007. She said the big win ruined her life and led to, quote, emotional bankruptcy. She said, quote, most of us think that winning the lottery is the ultimate fulfillment, but I found that wasn't the case. If you ask me, my life was hijacked by the lottery, 
end quote. Now, granted, I think there is a correlation between people who earn a lot of money and are able to manage it better than those who are just given money who didn't earn it. There seems to be a correlation there. But be that as it may, regardless, money and material things are not the source of fulfillment and satisfaction. Money and material things are not the source of fulfillment and satisfaction. In the last 50 years in the United States of America, the average size of a house has tripled in size. In the last 50 years, the average size house in America has tripled. And yet Americans have more in storage units than any other country in the world. There is enough square footage under roof in storage canopies for every single American in the United States to stand under the roof of a storage unit. That's how much stuff we have. There are more malls in America than there are high schools. There are more malls in America than there are high schools. In the United States, children make up 3.1% of child population in the world. So in the United States of America, among children around the world, we have 3.1% in America. But those 3.1% of children in America own 40% of the toys globally. Every year, Americans, on average, discard 65 pounds of clothing. Throw it away. Am I trying to kill the American dream? No. What I'm saying, though, however, is don't think that money and material things can bring satisfaction and happiness. Americans spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches than on college education. So, this should be challenging to us on many levels. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, he says, be on your guard, be careful against all kinds of greed, because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So notice here in chapter 2, and we'll close out here, look at verses 20 and 21, where Solomon says, So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all that he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. Which brings us back to where we opened up our study with verse 25. For without God, who can find enjoyment? Without God. Now listen, Solomon is not saying, and neither am I saying, that only Christians are the happy people in the world. And that people who don't know God and don't go to church and don't have a relationship with Christ, they can't possibly be happy, they can't possibly be successful. That's nonsense. There's a lot of people who don't know the Lord that they're quite content, quite happy, quite successful. What I am saying, however, and what I believe that Solomon is communicating through his own life experience, is that you might find a measure of happiness and contentment and pleasure in this world apart from God, but it will not be lasting. And at the end of the day, you get to a place where you realize what Blaise Pascal talked about. I've got a God hole in my heart. Every human being has a God-shaped hole in their heart. Because without him, there's this constant, gnawing, nagging realization. Something is missing. And if you're at a place today where you realize perhaps you've tried a lot of things, 
You've gone on the pleasure hunt, the measure hunt, and the treasure hunt, and you still realize, why is it I'm coming up on empty? Because maybe the Lord needs to be supreme in your life. And maybe you'll find the ultimate satisfaction for your soul in knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We're so blessed to be able to bring you challenging and biblically-based teaching with each new edition of Cornerstone Connection. We hope your faith is made stronger each time you tune in, as well as each time you open your Bible for yourself. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Gary's teachings in the book of Ecclesiastes, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have an extensive archive of teachings available for you there, which you can listen to or watch right online. Feel free to share these with friends and family. You could also download our mobile app to keep God's Word with you as you go about your daily activities. Do you live in the Leesburg area, or will you be visiting soon? If so, we'd like to extend an invitation to join us for our weekly gatherings. We meet each week to spend time in prayer and worship, studying the Bible, and getting to know each other better. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get service times, more information, and directions. You can also call us, 703-771-1500. We love getting to chat with our listeners and finding out how we can be praying for them. That number again is 703-771-1500. Thanks for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, you're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.